All right, we should be. Yes, we are. I can hear it. I can hear it. That's wunderbar. Well, praise God. Christ is risen. Oh, that was weak. I know we're small, but that was weak. Christ is risen. I'm going to get loud, so I'm going to cover that. Christ has risen! Hallelujah. Praise God. It's wonderful that we can remember to celebrate that very fact. We don't have to be ashamed of the fact of the cross and that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day. Amen? So, um, it seems to be the theme this morning which I shared with nobody, and that's great. That means the Holy Spirit is doing what He do. He's touching the hearts and minds of His people all in unison, and that's great. You know, this morning, I mean, you think about it, we're joining in a celebration of billions of people rejoicing in the fact that their Lord has overcome and that He's risen. It is the greatest news, and it is the greatest story that has ever been told. And it's so... Just a dysfunctional story. It's so bizarre when you think about it in human terms. And you know, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about this last week as the week was going by and I was engaged in certain uh, groups on, on uh, some of the media platforms and, and some of the mocking that I was uh, dealing with. And I was looking for those that were actually asking questions that were pertinent. And sometimes there was a little bit of mockiness, but after a while, some of them would start asking some more pertinent questions. And that's wonderful, because that's what I look for. Is, and, you know, and you just kind of part those that are just there for mocking sake only, and, and you just don't even pay attention to them. You just, in fact, on one of the things you could just, you could just delete from, from my point of view, because I posted the certain things, and I could just delete their, their, uh, their posts, and that was nice. I didn't have to deal with that. And I was still praying for them. There are those who mock, and there are those who, uh, in, in particular these days, one of the, one of the biggest uh, um, things that people um, dislike, and they hate the idea of Christianity. And, and I, don't, I don't misstate that, and I don't understate that. I mean, they really, there's, there's groups of people that just hate the gospel. They hate the fact that we believe what we believe. And to give them, you know, a, a little bit of uh, um, room for that, it, it kind of makes sense because the story really is pretty incredible. I mean, when you think about it. Um, how many of you know that dead people stay dead? That's just, that's just common sense, right? Dead people stay dead. So this story, even from the very beginning, even from that time, and as we were talking about last week, um, there was many times where Jesus told his disciples, hey guys, we're, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And it's there that I'm going to be turned over to the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these guys and all these people that are in power and authority. And, and I'm going to them to be mistreated. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to there, and uh, they will ultimately condemn me, and they're going to kill me. Peter's response was, you know, it was, it was uh, actually, in, in, in a way, it was, from our human perspective, it was commendable. He's, he's sticking up for his, for his master. He's, he's saying, oh, no, that'll never happen. And Jesus' response was, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine Jesus saying that. Get behind me, Satan. Woo! That's some, uh, that's some fighting words. Peter, I'm sure, was astounded and he was amazed at this, this proclamation. Get behind me, Satan. What? And why? It's because Jesus said, look, you don't have your minds on the things of God, on the things of heaven. You have your minds on the things of the world. And that needs to change. But he couldn't grasp it. Peter couldn't grasp it. He couldn't understand it. None of the disciples could really um, um, understand it. And there was that period while they were walking with Jesus, even though he was there, he hadn't sent the Holy Spirit yet. And, you know, as, uh, as that, uh, this whole uh, Passover time that we, uh, you know, this last Friday was, was the, the high Passover. 
And for us, it was the Passover, the culmination that, uh, that we see in Exodus that, that, that they took the lamb. And, and as the law says, it's not just any old lamb. It has to be a perfect, unblemished lamb. And later on, after this is the first time that it was instituted in Exodus, later on, God had told them, said, when you give this Passover lamb, you're going to have to bring it into your home. And it's going to have to live with you. And when the time comes, then you'll sacrifice it. Those were one of the things that, that uh, uh, they were intimately uh, uh, um, knowledgeable of this little, beautiful little. And, and I mean, last week we had the little lambs that were out there in the, in the yard and how just incredibly cute that they are and adorable. And imagine taking one of those and having to slit its throat. Bleed it out. And taking that blood and dipping it and putting it on your doorposts and on the lintel. But indeed, that's, that's what Christ came to do. That's what this last Friday, Good Friday, was all about. On the one hand, as I was saying Friday night, on, on the one hand, it was horrible. You had this most perfect of persons. The most perfect human being that's ever lived was guilty of absolutely nothing placed there on the cross. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was falsely accused. And as Isaiah tells us, he, like a lamb being led to slaughter, he didn't say anything. Because as you watched, uh, you know, it was fascinating to watch the uh, um, Russ as he, he handled those, those little lambs. They heard his voice and they would come. He would as only he could to them in their ears. And if we did it, they wouldn't respond. But as soon as he did it, man, they came. And they would respond that way. And, and Jesus, that perfect lamb, he went. And he gave his life a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And he was mocked and he was perfect and gentle and humble. And yet there was those times when we see that he overturned tables at the, at the temple and they could see the fire in his eyes. And I can only imagine how terrifying that must have been. This, this Jesus, this God, the Son from all eternity incarnate, when he would turn angry, as it says in Psalm 2, kiss the Son lest he become angry. And I can imagine that fire in his eyes as he was turning the tables and people were like, whoa. And he would, and, and why? Because he said, you turn my father's house into a temple of robbers, a place of robbers and thieves. You've made it a filthy place. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. How dare you? And at the same time, he was gentle and humble. And guiltless. And that's what we, partly what we celebrate and why it's so, it's such a mystery, this story that we know, that we are familiar with and that we, we embrace. Because it doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. And I want to look at uh, um, today as uh, through, the, through the lens of Luke um, and through the, uh, through the place where Mary had come, the two Marys had come and they were expecting. They had an expectation. They had been with Jesus too. I mean, the Bible tells us that, and it doesn't say explicitly, but we know that there were women who followed along with the disciples. And they were always there ministering to the twelve and to Jesus. And they were listening. They were gleaning as only women can. Women learn in a totally different way than men can. Praise God for that. Thank God for that difference. And they were gleaning different things, but even they didn't fully comprehend the wonders of everything that was going on. They didn't get it totally. They came with an expectation. And so many people today in the Christian realm, in Christian churches, they come with an expectation. They've already fixed in their minds and in their hearts ideas and thoughts and wants and desires. And they've come 
In, in many instances, it's, I hear this a lot out there, and it's, it's uh, people who are desiring for God. And I'm just, I'm just here because I believe that God is going to give me my breakthrough. God is going to give me my breakthrough. Well, you already started with a, a whole way of, of coming to, to God with an expectation. You've placed your expectation on God. God is, last I checked, He's the king of the universe. You don't put expectations on a king, let alone the king of the universe. And so people come to Him, like these women, even after seeing Him dead, seeing Him killed, seeing Him mocked, seeing Him spit upon and laughed at. They didn't get to see perhaps much of the beatings that he took. But Isaiah makes it clear that this person was, was going to be beaten, marred beyond human comprehension. It just didn't even look like a human being. He was so marred. And to start with, Isaiah says, there was really nothing about him that we should be drawn to him. He was probably pretty, pretty average, pretty normal other than the fact of what they knew about him and the way that he carried himself. You know, there's some certain people in, in life that we come across and, and when we listen to them and when we meet them, they're, they're like, make an impact on us. And, and then that person has some authority. Something about that person I can respect. And Jesus was this, was this type of an individual, but yet it says that we, we despised him and he was rejected of men. We didn't esteem him. And so the story of the cross is really a bizarre one. Because the cross, according to the law, and, and what we need to remember always is, is this book, in large part, is a Jewish book. And it has a Jewish point of view. And it has the Jewish law as its, as its backdrop and its background. And according to the, to the law, when somebody was hung on a tree, they were to believe that those, that person was cursed of God. It's cursed. And here you have the most perfect human being that has ever lived. Sinless. As I said Friday night, I can't imagine what it's like going through life not having sinned. I, it's, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I can remember as a, as a child how horrible I would feel sometimes with the things that I would do or say. <laughs> Go back a long way that. Got a lot of spanking. A lot of hand hitting. A lot of all those things. Why? Because my parents hated me? No. Because they loved me. And they knew that this was the little terrible tyrant that they had brought into the world. And he needed direction, correction, because we're fallen. And if we have any of you that are listening, that are watching, that are, that are here, have children, you know, you don't teach your children to lie. You don't have to teach them not to steal. You don't have to teach them to make up stories and to, to be nice and do all those things. I mean, you do have to teach them to be nice. I misspoke. You have to teach them to not be hateful towards and selfish, and all these things. And why? Because that's our nature. That's the way that we are. So we're sinful right from the beginning. And Jesus came, this perfect lamb, this unblemished, unspotted lamb, this perfect, gentle one. And he gave his life on the cross. He took it all. Everything that we deserve, he took. Everything that we should have received from God, he endured everything all of God's judgment condemnation that should be on every single one of us every mouth breather in the world as I said Friday well, before I even woke up God should have killed us all in our sleep because we've all violated his holiness and his righteousness there was only one person that had never done that and that was person of Jesus Christ. 
And I love the fact what, what, when God, He, in what we're, what's written for us, that when He was baptized and, and uh, on the transfiguration, how God, the voice of God came and spoke from the cloud, this is, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear you him. Amazing. He could say that about one human being. Isaiah says and recorded for us that God was back then and that time says, I could find no one. There's no one. There's no one that does good. There's no one who, is, who understands. There's no one who follows after God. No one seeks him. Not even one. And some people say, well, he was just talking about the nation of Israel. No. Because if he could find someone, he would. He's omniscient after all. No, we're all in the same predicament. We all have the same. We, sh- we all deserve the same thing. The, the uh, airwaves are, are filled with all these ads that say, hey, you deserve this and you deserve that and you deserve this new car and you deserve this, this better house and you deserve this, this awesome washer and dryer and this, this refrigerator that you can hook up to your, to your computer so you can keep an eye on your stuff. You deserve it. <laughs> what they don't know is what we truly deserve. And if we were really honest... And that's why I say it all the time. And, and uh, yeah, I did, I did to borrow it from, uh, from Dave Ramsey, but I know exactly why he says it. It's all better than I deserve. If I'm broke, if I can't find work, if I'm sick in bed, if I'm left abandoned on the road somewhere, it's still better than I deserve. It's still better than I deserve. It's better than what you deserve. That's what we deserve. The, the, we deserve the, the condemnation and the full wrath and fury of a living holy God. That's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. Here this Jesus was. And you'll notice on the cross, I left it there for a reason. Friday night we did our nail it to the cross service. The nails are still there. The things that we nailed on there are gone. Symbolically, they've been taken to the grave. Taken away, far away from you forever. And that's the reason why we left that there with the nails in there. Because in Colossians, it tells us that in Colossians 2, um, I want to read that as we uh, continue on here. Because it's so important and it's so pertinent to what we're talking about. Because it is the purpose of the cross. And in Colossians, it tells us an amazing thing. In Colossians 2, I want to read this real quick. And it says this, he says, "For and this is Paul writing to the, to the church at Colossae and the, the people that are therein, the brethren. The Bible always has that view. It's written to a purposed people. It's written directed towards an audience. And the audience is to believers. And if you're a non-believer listening to this, um, you're peeking in on somebody else's mail, somebody else's love letter. But you're welcome to listen, to hear. This is what Paul writes to them. He He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. See, he was a mystery, and he still is to many people. Most of the mocking that, that I get, that I, that I hear, is, is that very thing. They ask, well, we don't even know for sure that there was an actual Jesus. We don't even know that he was really, you know, there's, there's billions of people right now who reject the idea of Jesus. They say, well, we believe in Jesus. 
But they say, oh, no, he didn't die. There was somebody that took his place. And they say that we believe in Jesus, but oh, no, he wasn't the son of God. God has no sons. They reject this gospel. And they've come up with one of their own, which is no gospel at all. It cannot save. And as I posted on, on uh, uh, some other feeds with some other people, I said, uh, posted something to the fact that, that the law is for those who are proud. But grace for those who are humble. His sacrifice is enough. And they were angry. And they called my God names. Because what a horrible God that is. And it's like you're making a moral judgment based on what? You're rejecting the idea that God created the heavens and the earth. And according to your understanding, everything is just material. It's all physical. All the things we have, you know, they're just chemicals. And we just respond to them. Like, well... Okay, so that's how I'm going to respond to your statement. It means absolutely nothing because what you've said is just empty. All you're giving me is your opinion. And if we met in real life, you know, in real life, in that kind of a setting, the strongest one, that's the, that's the uh, uh, opinion that wins out. Whoever's the stronger one, right? They reject this idea because this is a mystery. It's hidden. And I'm, I'm getting somewhere with that. So hold on to that thought. It's a mystery what Paul says. It's God's mystery. And what is that mystery? Christ himself. In verse 3 he says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love that. He's our treasure trove. You want to find true treasure? You'll find it in Christ. And it's like, I want you to picture this. Okay? Many of us haven't been to McDonald's in a minute, right? So we haven't seen those, uh, those, those uh, ball pits. I want you to imagine this immense, endless ball pit like that, but it's all kinds of treasures. And it's all Christ Jesus. And you dive in there, and no matter what you do, you just keep on getting more and more and more deeper and more and more treasure and more and more in love with who Christ is. That's the idea. And he said, that's hidden. He says, in, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom? It's in Christ. You want knowledge? Go to the one who knows. He says, I say this in order that you that no one may delude you with per, uh, persuasive argument. There's a lot of people with arguments. They're not very persuasive, most of them. There are some. I'll admit that. There are some that are just ridiculous. <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good, um, your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. And that's important. Talking about discipline, He's talking about stability. I've seen some videos this last week of some quote-unquote churches, and I'm just going, Oi, hey, what on earth is going on here? I mean, just crazy stuff. I'm not going to commend that to you. I'm just telling you. I check these things out because they're out there. In fact, you know, one of the, one of the crazy, and this is, this is all just extra stuff, so it's for free. I won't even charge you for it. You know, I saw one where, where uh, Kenneth Copeland, and we don't even have to worry about COVID-19 anymore because he, he, he commanded it with the south wind. Yeah, he blew it. So it's gone, according to him. It's, it's wild and crazy, some of the things that we do. But he says, he says, I want you to be stable, and I want you to be in good discipline. That's important as part of our faith. And granted, I, I, I'm admitting right now, I've been called and wished upon not so good things because we chose to meet 
from the brethren. And that's just the way that it is. I'm like, okay, God bless you. God bless you in your bunkers and wherever else you're at. We're going to meet. We're going to love on one another. We're just going to trust God. We're not, we're not testing Him. We're not doing all those things. We're just doing what we're, we believe we're called to. Um, and he says, And as therefore you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Here comes some admonishments. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. In other words, have a biblical perspective. Let your world be, your worldview be biblical. Let it begin with Christ and let it flow from there. Start with God and not something else, and not the philosophies of the world, but start with God. He says, see to it, that puts the responsibility on y'all, on me, right? So that's your responsibility. Somebody takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, guess what? And the traditions of men, that's your, that's your fault. You get your up and comings, okay? He says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All. And here, all means all. All the fullness of deity dwells in him in bodily form. And he says, and in him you, you have been made complete. And he is the head of overall rule and authority. And in him, because he's the treasure, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith, in the working of God. Notice, it's through Him, it's through faith, and it's the working of God, not our working, not our work, not what we can do, not what we could conjure up. I love what George Whitfield says in, in saying that what, which one of your miserable works are you going to bring that's going to outweigh the works of the perfect Son of God on the cross? What are you going to bring to God? And as I was saying Friday night, there's nothing that we can bring to the cross except our sin, our sinfulness, our guilt. That's all we can bring to Him. I love that. I'm thankful for that. Because He is the one who changes everything. He is the one that makes all things new. He says, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, now notice that. He's saying, you didn't get right before God. You didn't fix some things before you came. I hear that all the time. Oh, well, I just, you know, I just got to work on a few things before I, I start coming to church. Before I, I, I come to God, I, I, I need to, really what they're saying is, hey, I want to sin some more. I wish they would be honest. Hey, I ain't done sinning. I want to, I'm having too much fun sinning, and I want to continue to, in that debauchery. Okay? Let's be honest. That's what it is. But apart from the Spirit of Christ, you can't even know that we're that guilty. But that's what the honest truth is. He says, having you and made you alive together and having forgiven um, us while you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. It means while we're dirty. While we're dirty. And the uncircumcision of your flesh. He said, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us one of our transgressions. What? I see some people saying no. <laughs> it's, the, it's the book of Hezekiah. No, it says, it says he having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's the good news. That's why we can, we can cry out, Christ is risen. Truly you 
<laughs> because we can be overjoyed with that fact. Hey, my sins are forgiven. That's why I tell people, and I, I, again, I got into this, you know, this back and forth with people because they said, well, well, no, you're going to be judged by your works. And I said, no, my, my, my works don't matter. I'm being judged by the work that was done on the cross, not by me, but by Jesus. I'm hiding in those coattails. And I ain't relying on anything else. No, thank you. Because I'm honest enough to say I'll fail. My works are miserable, just like Mr. Whitfield said, the brother who has gone before us. I ain't got nothing I can bring to God, make him happy, keep him happy. No. All I can do is keep saying, Father, forgive me, for I've sinned against you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. That's all I can bring to Him. And thank Him over and over again. Oh, thank You for the cross. Oh, thank You for that wonderful Savior. Thank You for the one who was unblemished. Thank You for the one who was able to pay that price. He says, because we have been forgiven all of our transgressions. And I love this. I've been so focused on this for the last several months, having canceled out the certificate of debt. You owe a debt, sinner. You owe a debt. And one day, God is going to demand it of you. And I love what the Bible teaches. Is according to this, that can be reconciled today. Because today is the day of salvation. We don't need to wait till that day when there's that final resurrection. And like I tried to plead with people, I said, read what you're, what you're trying to convince me of. Because you're not reading it. Those that are risen to that last resurrection are for only one purpose. And that's the condemnation that they deserve. Turn, repent. Stop believing that nonsense, please. Because when you're looking to that resurrection, you're calling for that condemnation. And you will face the wrath of God alone. What will you say in that day? Turn from your sin. And run to Jesus. Run to the cross. Leave it all there. Bear your soul to Him. And plead. Oh God forgive me of my sin. Take away the stain. Make me new and make me yours. And then thank Him. Trust Him. And bless him. He says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way. Hallelujah. He took it out of the way. What's in your way, Christian? Nothing. What's in your way keeping you from, from, from being in the presence of Almighty God? Nothing. In fact, he's there welcoming you because you just believed him. He says he moves it all away. He, he takes it all away. I love that. He has taken it out of the way. Having what? Nailed it to the cross. That's why the nails are still in there. It's nailed to the cross. What is the cross for? It's an instrument, torture, public execution, and death. Praise God! Our sin is there. It's nailed. It's been paid for. It's no longer with us. It no longer keeps us held down. It no longer has power over us. It no longer can do what it used to do. Now we've been set free. And he says, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. He says, therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day. I love that. Because you're free. He's proclaiming the liberty that we have in Christ. Y'all are free. You like bacon? Eat some bacon. You like some shrimp? Eat them shrimp. Praise God. Everything that He has made is 
Amazing. And He's made us to enjoy it. All those things. Except for liver. <laughs> I know there are those who, who like it, but it's not for me. <laughs> he says, therefore, act, let no one act as your judge regarding food or drink or respect to festival or a new moon or the Sabbath day. He says, no, no, no. He says, this things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. See, it's all centralized in who Christ is. And he says, "No, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. We have a prize. Hallelujah. It's not like the trophy, the participation trophy that everybody gets. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels. Self-abasement, of course, is doing stuff to make yourself right before God. Even beating your body. He says, no, don't defraud yourself. That that ain't going to work. Put that behind you. That's no good. Yeah, it'll just mess you up. And it'll build up in you and puff you up. You know, I, well, I don't do this. And, hey, I don't do that. I don't go to those places. And I don't eat this and I don't do that. And I only do this on this certain day. And it's like, no, 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 don't, don't let that defraud. That's defrauding you of your prize. And the worship of angels taking his stand on visions as he is seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. And he says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle? See, do not taste. Do not touch. What's the price? Our liberty in Christ. We're free. We can be like uh, Mel Gibson and Braveheart. Freedom! Freedom! He says, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom they look like they're all right if you're religious and all that stuff. Wear the suit and tie, bring your Sunday best and all that stuff. It looks right. He says, nah. He says, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. I love the fact that the Bible is replete with but God. He turned up everything upside down. Even, even the gospel is just so un it's just so unacceptable as, as, as just common sense, because it's just so different. It's so unexpected. It's so unhuman like. And the mystery is the as the prophet said, his ways are above your ways. His thoughts are above your thoughts. We have no clue. And he says here, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion. Listen to me, sinner. Self-made religion, self-abasement and self or severe treatment of the body. Those things have many people trapped. Those things have People stuck there. Oh, I have to do this. I've talked with so many people on, on Facebook and other places, and, and, and it's one of the places where they go to. Well, I have, you know, I've got to do these works. What about your works? I got works. But they're prepared from before the foundations of the earth that I should walk in them. They're his works that I should do them. They're not my works. That's what I'm relying on. Not about y'all. It's self-made religion. It's, 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 it's man-made religion. 
He says, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. What's he saying? He says, you're going to indulge. I don't care how hard you try, you're going to give in. The beauty of that is the fact that Christ is risen. Christ has risen. Christ has risen. risen. Praise God. And so I want to turn real quickly because I don't want to neglect the, um, the resurrection. Not that we are. But I want to talk about the, uh, just momentarily, about the women that came to the tomb. Because they had an expectation. Yes. And it says here in, uh, in Luke, um, and I want to read here in uh, Luke 23, and start at verse 50 real quick and read through it real fast. It says, And behold, a man named Joseph who was a member of the council, a good, righteous man. He had not consented to their plan and action. From Arimathea, city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This is Luke uh, 23, verse 51, going on 52 now. He says, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus had already been crucified. He went and asked that he could take the body. And he took it down in verse 53 and wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. He was numbered amongst the transgressors. He was laid there to rest in the tomb of a rich man. And it says where no one had ever laid. Then he says, and it was a preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after. See, there was women who followed along and saw the tomb and how it was, his body was laid. So they witnessed the body going in there. So. so then it says here in verse 56, and they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the command. What? Why would they go back and prepare spices and perfumes? They had an expectation. Everything that they understood about God had already been told them. They were already convinced of it. God has different ideas, y'all. <laughs> he does. These women had followed around probably for the last three years of, of Jesus' life. They had an expectation. They were preparing the spices for what? For a ritual that was part of the law. They were expecting what? Well, let's, let's keep on reading here in verse, or chapter 24. It says, but on the first day of the week, which was Sunday morning, early, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They came with an expectation, y'all. They thought there's going to be a, forgive me, a stinky corpse there. They had prepared something to cover up some of that smell. Dare I say, they were following after their own hearts. See, they hadn't heard what Jesus, they heard what Jesus said, but they didn't hear what Jesus told them. Because Jesus didn't just tell them, yeah, I'm going to Jerusalem and all this stuff's going to happen to me and, and ultimately they're going to kill me. He also said, three days later, I'm going to rise again. Three days later, I'm going to be alive. Not a, all they heard was, oh, he's going to Jerusalem to die. It's like that was an afterthought or something. It's like, whew. Now the reason I'm, I'm stressing that right now is simple. I believe what the Bible teaches is that unless God pre presses it upon our minds and hearts, we can't grasp the idea of the resurrection. We can't grasp the idea, hey, we're sinful. We're guilty before God. 
It's a supernatural act of God. And we're going to see the supernatural right here unfold. And I can understand why those anti-theists and those agnostics and some of those other people of other religions that they mock and they, they don't understand and they can't grasp this. Because they can't. Their inability to do so is because they have no ability to do so. Unless God, but God. And he says here, they had prepared the spices. They were bringing the spices. They found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. I love their courage, but when they entered, they didn't even wait. They didn't sit there and go, ooh, uh, maybe we should wait for the authorities. Maybe we should go get... No, they just went right in. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. What was their expectation? He's supposed to be there. Dead men don't wake up, y'all. People that are dead stay dead. This is inconceivable. Yeah. They witnessed. They saw. They saw mocking. They saw those nails that we put there. They saw those wounds. They saw him stabbed with that spear. They saw that blood and water flow. Common sense told them he's dead. Their hope had flown. It had gone. They were fully expecting him to be there. So they get there. The stones rolled away. There's no body. And it says, and it happened, that while they were perplexed, they were perplexed about this. Behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. They were bedazzled. Yeah. They were standing there, and boof, all of a sudden there's these two guys. Records here that there's two men. They were in the form of men. And their apparel was dazzling. You know, those of you that are older and that will know the reference, you know, I can't remember his name in the in the movie, Tony something, I think it was. Saturday Night Live in that white disco suit. He <laughs> was dazzling in those disco lights. And it says that and the, the women were terrified. And they bowed their faces to the ground. And the man said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? What a great question. It's pointed, y'all. It's ripping them open in their mindset. Asking a question that is pointed and directed. Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? As if to say, he already told you. He told you he wasn't going to be here. He said that on the third day, he was going to be alive. Why have you come? And then, those great words. He is not here. But he has risen. says, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? Saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Hallelujah. And then, that's right. Do you remember? I remember. He did say that. And they remembered his words and returned to the to, uh, to, from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they're looking like a bunch of crazy women. And they're telling him, man, we, this is what we saw. We done went to the tomb and there's empty. The stone was rolled away. And there's these men. And they told us. And they reminded us. And they showed us and proclaimed he is, risen. he is risen. 
He's not here. He gone. And they told us, don't you remember? And we remembered. Sent these women to there. I think God set them up, y'all. I think God set them up. I love the way that one of the one of the uh, uh, recordings that we have, and I, I believe it's either Mark or, or Matthew. I can't remember which one, but I love the, the picture because I, in my mind, and this is you know, I'm strange, I'm, I'm different, <coughs> and one of them records that there was an angel at the feet of Jesus where he should have been, and there was another angel at the head of where Jesus would have been. And in my strange mind, I go, man. And I remember the first time that I saw that, as I was reading, it hit me. And I said, man, that kind of reminds me of the picture that I've heard of, of an ark. And there's two angels facing each other. And their wings are coming up over the top, and they're touching. Like, man, that's... Whew. I remember whew, rain smoke and and... Chills like I'm getting now, remembering, man, that looks like the, the covering of the ark. That's just so amazing. Because he wasn't there. But it was still there. They were still there. And you have this astounding and amazing account. It is hard to believe. Because dead men don't walk. Dead men don't talk. They, they don't get up and eat stuff. They don't direct you where to go. They don't just pop in in the middle of a room where nobody's expecting you and all of a sudden, bam, he's there. Dead men don't do that. Dead men stay dead and they get buried. They rot. No one, no one but Jesus has ever been resurrected like that. One day we will be resurrected like that. Hallelujah. That's the promise. That's the great prize. That's the great treasure. We'll get to see Him with our eyes. Our ears will hear His voice. And like the leper, He'll touch us. He'll touch us. We'll feel it. No more faith. No more hope. It'll be reality. It'll be our existence. Hallelujah. Because Christ is risen. Now, because we didn't have the uh, um, the egg, the egg wars and things, we were did that. Uh, we decided it'd probably be safer. We weren't crushing eggs together in each other's faces and and breathing on each other and so on and so forth. So this year we decided we're going to do. And I thought, what a wonderful time it would be to have communion on the first day of the week the day that we celebrate, the most celebratory day for the Christian in all of the year, the church calendar. The day of our risen Lord. Hallelujah. So how appropriate it would be to, to, to be able to do this. And, and that's where we're going to do And I want to read. Um, we're going to take communion. And I want us to remember that Jesus didn't just predict His death. He predicted that He would rise. And in your bulletins, I've, I've included some of the passages, and especially in John, where he says over and over again, he says, I have the power to lay down my life, and I have the power to take it back up again. That is significant because he is saying that in the first person. He's saying, I have that power. He, he's proclaiming something more than just, I'm a man who's perfect and going to die on the cross for you. He's saying something much more. Not only that he ride, that he will rise, he did. But he has the power to do it. That makes him God the Son. And before we take communion, you know, I just want to reach out to those who have never given their life to Christ, who maybe need to know and to understand, yeah, they're guilty. But they don't have to remain in that state. They're unforgiven, but they don't have to remain unforgiven. They're unredeemed, but they don't have to remain unredeemed. They're unregenerate, but they don't have to remain so. They can, right now, you can reach out, cry out to God. 
Tell him what a wretched sinner that you are, that you need him, that you believe that he died on the cross for your sin, and that you believe that he was buried, and that you believe that he rose again. Even if you don't know why, if it's overtaking you and just, I just believe this, I don't know why, I just do. And then ask him to forgive you. Ask him to make him, to make you his own. Receive him. Receive him now and be set free. Have all your transgressions removed away from you. That's the cleansing that he brings. That's the healing that he brings. By his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. That's what he came to do. And as we uh, go into communion, it's, it's uh, written here in uh, uh, chapter 22 of, of Luke. Real simple, 19, verse 19 and, and 20. <clears throat> and it reads following, and, and uh, the Lord's Supper is what's instituted here, and that's what we're about to partake in. And it says, and he, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, my body represents what you should have, but I'm going to take it for you. The cross is where Jesus takes your place. The cross is the only place where you can have your sins forgiven and removed. Jesus in exchange for you and your sin. His perfection given to you when you receive Him. And you'll be clothed in His righteousness. Hallelujah. And that makes you acceptable to God. That's why we say, come as you are. He'll clean you. He'll fix you up. He'll make you all new. He does that. And Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. And I love that. He said, I'm giving this for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he says in verse 20, in the same way, he took the cup. And after they had eaten, saying, and I love this, this cup, which is poured out for you. Notice, his body's given, and he said, this is poured out for you. His sheep. It's about the only time I, I will be um, receive well the title of sheeple. As I'm a sheeple of the living Christ. He says, this is poured out for you. And what is it? He says, it's, it's poured out for you and this is the new covenant in my blood. It's a new covenant. What does the new imply? The old is gone. It's a new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. And as, as uh, Paul says in Ephesians, it's for it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're created from before the foundations of the world by God for good works that we should walk in them. Because we're made new, and it's all by grace. This is the new covenant. He paid for it, y'all. To tell us die. Paid in full. He took your sins to the grave, as we show symbolically here, with the nails. That debt has been paid if you're trusting in Christ alone. And if you're not, your sins still stain and blot your person, your soul. Christ came to pay for that. You can remain indebted or you can be set free with a credit account that is inexhaustible. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercy in this marvelous story that just doesn't make sense. The living God, God the Son, incarnate. What? Born of a virgin? 
I don't understand. Lived the perfect life. Was willing to go and endure all that wickedness of man. Were the most sinister, horrific, and terrible sin was displayed in that moment. When we took the Lord of glory and cried out, crucify him. And placed him on that cross. But oh, thank you, O Lord, that it paid the price. And before he gave up the spirit, he cried out, it is finished. To tell us, I paid in full, if we'll only believe. And that he was indeed buried. And that he rose again on the third day. According to the scriptures, we thank you that we can partake of this communion. The word says that where two or more gathered in his name, that here you are. Touch us. Touch us, O Lord. Change us. Make us new. Maybe those who have given themselves over to you for the first time and surrendered. They can join us symbolically there. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. For it's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen.